Welcome to the More Than Fitness Podcast. How uh, how are things? You look you look phenomenal. I figured that was a given, but how are you doing, Miguel? It's good to talk to you, bro. Thank you. I, um, I'm a very big believer that one of the best ways in which you can represent yourself properly is through clothing. So, you know, I've, I've always dressed quite I've always put a lot of effort into into how I dress and lately I've decided, okay, well, I kind of have a very clear trajectory into how I want to be in the future. So I figured, okay, well, you know what, Miguel, you don't actually need to have a, a wardrobe full of suits before you can actually start wearing, you know, predominantly suits and predominantly um, very professional attire. So is I this, figured might as well start. I like, is this the, <laughs> is this kind of inspired by Lex Friedman? I noticed he's always in the, the, the nice little, uh, he's the suit and tie on Rogan. He looks professional i i I like his quite a bit although i i i prefer to kind of vary the suits of one whereas i think that likes kind of does like he he has like a very like monotone suits it's very like standardized very clean but i prefer to kind of crisp things up a little bit like i just kind of happen to be wearing black and white right now but i'm but i'm a fan of um of of wearing tastefully exquisite suits like I, i don't i don't need them to be to be accessorized to the brim but I, I do believe that, you know, kind of wearing diff- different colors, different handkerchiefs, different colored ties and kind of showing that you can play with with your wardrobe like that is a very nice way to represent yourself both formally and creatively. Mm, I like that. Well, I want to dive into that in a second because that's kind of cool. But real quick, <laughs> just for uh, just for for context sake, uh, give the give the people who don't know who you are, give a little bit of a background or just whenever you meet somebody and they kind of ask about what you do, what uh, what do you tell them? Sure. So my name is Miguel, and I am a master's student at Columbia University, as well as a researcher at the Yale School of Medicine. Um, and my research is predominantly in neuroscience and in neurodegenerative diseases. So I mainly use computational neuroscience approaches to be able to uh, find key signatures in different types of neurodegenerative diseases that allow us to make predictions about uh, diagnoses or prognosis of a disease. For example, to be able to say, okay, well, we're going to put this person with ALS in a motion capture system, which viewers or listeners might be familiar with. There's like the things that you would see someone do when they're making maybe an athletics game. Like you see all, all the all the different like little dots that can, that can sense their motion. You can kind of see where they are in a computer. Um, so saying, okay, well, I'm going to use computational approaches and machine learning to be able to figure out what key movement signatures allow you to say, well, it's likely that this person has Huntington's disease or ALS, or if someone has ALS, what can we look at within the way in which they walk to tell us, okay, well, you're not going to be able to walk in a year, or maybe you'll die in two years. So kind of being able to answer those questions. Um, that's what I do at Columbia at the Yale School of Medicine. My research is in psychometrics. So in, in uh, being able to statistically tease out uh, measurement tools and scales to be able to measure different things psychologically, uh, because when you're kind of getting into the into the science of the mind, it's not like you can probe someone with 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 any type of biological tool to say, okay, well, like this tells me that your mind is like that. Uh, you kind of have to come up with all of these different scales and tools and validate them across multiple people and multiple cultures and 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 multiple periods of time to be able to say, okay, well, this scale allows me to measure this trait or this state or this this uh, thing within your personality that we want to look at. So that's what I do with, um, with Yale. I love it. I love it. And we're going to dive in. Uh, we're definitely going to dive into all that stuff. Cause that, uh, everything that you sent me via text and stuff, I'm excited to, to talk about, but just real quick, just so people know me and Miguel were originally just like I was kind of with Austin Kern a few episodes back. We were just going to chat just as friends, just kind of catch up, see how e- each other was doing. But I figured we'd, we'd do a podcast first, help uh, help a few listeners out, talk about some some cool stuff. And then uh, maybe we can talk off air about some more personal things. But just real quick, just since, with everything going on here here recently, since we haven't chatted in a bit, just how are, how are you doing collectively just... Uh, with everything going on, are you good? I'm doing great. I uh, I think since we last spoke, entered into a relationship that I'm quite happy with. Um, I love you know, it. I, I forgot to sort of mention to the listeners, but I'm also uh, someone who studies psychology and philosophy quite deeply, and um, it's a relationship that is rooted in, in 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 honesty and vulnerability and the things that aren't easy to to truly negotiate with someone and get run, running right off the bat, but the things that build for a truly successful relationship, you know, it's um, when getting into, in, into a relationship, I find that 
and, and I advise people that you have to be who you are from day one. It's like you have to be able to show all of all of your beauty and all of your monstrosity and everything in between from day one. Because if you do that, then the person that you're engaging in a relationship with, if they also do that with you, as time progresses, there aren't any surprise where you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Or like on date 10, when you find out, oh, this is that who this person actually is. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, like I don't want to long be involved. Or two years in, you know, this person kind of finds out about that thing in your personality that you've been hiding. And then they're like, wow, like I, I need to dissociate myself from you because I didn't know you were this way. It's a relationship where from day one, both her and I have been exactly who we are in all of the beauty and all of the monstrosity. And when you are able to find someone who you can love that about them and they can love those things about you, it's something where you truly have something solid to go on and progress um, in the world and, 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 and build something that has a very solid foundation with. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. And what's so interesting is from our last podcast we did, we, we, you weren't in a relationship, but we did touch on vulnerability and, and about relationships. And we kind of had a little, uh, therapy session with each other. I think that was, that was interesting. So it's cool to hear that you found somebody I've seen all the stuff on Instagram and it seems like you guys are hitting it off well. And I couldn't agree more with everything you just said, dude. Yeah. And you know, the vulnerability is, is a very interesting thing because I, I find that it's one of those things that people tend to say, okay, well, I want a relationship where we're truly vulnerable and I want a relationship that's, that's very strong and, 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 and all of those things. But vulnerability isn't actually this thing where when you're vulnerable with someone, you kind of have this like come to God moment where you all of a sudden you feel so much stronger and all of a sudden it's like your relationship feels so much more solid. If you're truly vulnerable with someone, and one of the ways in which you can find out if you're being truly vulnerable with someone is if it gives you a little bit of anxiety and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And people associate vulnerability with, with that like immediate strength. And it's not that when you're vulnerable with someone, you tell someone something that, that either they can use to hurt you or something that makes you feel anxious. It's like, you know, when you're vulnerable, you're, you're kind of trusting, you're, you're giving the most vulnerable part of, part of your heart to another human who is just as clumsy as you are. And you're saying, okay, please don't nick this thing. And they probably are going to do it because they're just as clumsy as you are, but you have to trust them that at least as a whole, they are going to to protect it. And of course, when you do that to someone, you are going to feel anxiety and you aren't going to feel like this big, strong, powerful man uh, or, 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 or woman. But at the end of it, when, when you're done, when kind of like the nerves settle down, then you will have a truly vulnerable relationship or a truly vulnerable moment. Mm, you're like kind of, you're, you're the animal who's like showing its stomach, right? It's showing all the organs and everything so that if you want to, you know, it's kind of just, uh, it's surrendering almost. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. Well, what about what have you, what's been different this go around compared, and we don't, we, we can stick on this as long or as little as you want, but I think it's just interesting since we're here and compared to our last talk, has there been anything that maybe somebody who, who lacked with this? Cause I feel like if I'm correct, I think in the past, maybe you, uh, didn't open up this much and lay that all that out there from day one. So what advice would you maybe give them there? I think one of, one of the things that, that, I've, that I've come to realize is that there's a there, there's a key difference between being truly vulnerable with someone and being radically honest with someone. And I find that a lot of people, what they do is entering a relationship. They're like, this is all my baggage. And this is all the things that could potentially this scare you away about me. And I'm going to lay it out on the line. And if you run away, I was truly vulnerable and I can, and I can sleep well at night and have a good conscience because I told you everything up front and you still ran away. And I've, I've come to realize, you know, both in, both in, in myself and other people that this is not truly vulnerability this this is or this is not true vulnerability this is more of a defense mechanism that people use in order to just kind of throw everything at you at, at your way kind of even force you to hide because you know that that's kind of a lot like you don't have to actually be be you don't have to run someone through your entire life story on date number one in order to be truly vulnerable um and, and, and people that do that, they're kind of forcing you away. And then they get to feel good about themselves and sleep well at night because they're like, in good conscience, I was vulnerable with this person. It's like, no, true vulnerability is, is it's not, you, you, you have to push it a little bit, but it's not this thing where you're jerking it out of you and throwing it in someone's face and like shoving it down their throat. Uh, that's more of, of a defense mechanism. And I think that in previous partners, potentially even myself in the past other thing where like i'm going to be radically honest with you and again there's a fundamental difference between being radically honest with someone and and having that true vulnerability interesting yeah i like it instead of instead of uh just kind of dumping it all at once it's more of like a drip effect or like a trickle like over time and whenever the moment's right and, and when it comes from the heart right because you you can 
you can tell someone something very traumatic about you and shove it down their throat and not actually connect with the story and not and it not be something that's coming from a place of emotion. Um, but I find that to be truly vulnerable, you kind of have to have the thing where it comes at 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 a, at the right time at a at a time that is honest with you and when you can connect with the story and with what is being said emotionally. Where did where did all because I mean obviously people listening, if they, if they already know you, then they kind of understand how articulate you can be and 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 reflective on things. Where did this kind of curiosity for we can go ahead and get into it more of the 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 philosophy and then uh of course like clinical psychology what you're wanting to get your phd in where where did that kind of come from like why did you think that i need to learn more about this and teach others about it in part it came by reading a lot of philosophy i i, I began to read um aristotle and Socrates and Plato. When was then, this? Sorry to cut you off. When? I would say that I truly began to get into it because I think, you know, it's, it's very interesting. You talk to people who are very much into literature and philosophy and they they treat this as this topic that's, that's so far removed from every everyday life. And it blows my mind when I talk to a philosopher who is actually kind of um, emotionally disconnected from themselves and other people and isn't as introspective as I am because you know I, I tend to like I'm the type of person you you sit down with me and I'll have you I'll have you tell me your, your life story in like six hours and like, we'll, we'll have a six-hour conversation and like I'll ask you questions that you've never been asked before and so when I speak with someone who is very well read in philosophy and literature who doesn't who doesn't do that it blows my mind so you know it's something that I I've sort of been trickling in, but over the last year, I think it, I think it's it's it, it can be attributed to my discovering of, I would say, Nietzsche, and and Carl Jung, where all of a sudden was like, oh my god, I was I was making I was making my way through 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 some philosophers and some psychologists, and then it was specifically Nietzsche, Carl Jung, and uh, and Carl Rogers that just. They just hit me over the head. Like you read those people and they point out things about the phenomenology of being and about the human condition that you cannot ignore and that change your entire, your, your, your entire outlook on yourself and everything around you. And so then I would say that that that's one of the things that, uh, that truly changed um, my direction, just kind of put me at a dead stop and was like, okay, Miguel, you need to do this. And then of course, you know, if you are going to start reading about Nietzsche and Carl Jung and Carl Rogers, um, you end up stumbling upon the man himself, Jordan Peterson. And that man just says, you know, I, I, there's, there's a lot of people that listen to Jordan Peterson, but I find that the majority of people don't truly listen to what he is saying and apply what he is saying to, um, to the most fundamental degree. And I think that like finding those three people, reading those three people and, and everything that they have wrote, uh, plus discovering Jordan Peterson and seeing what Jordan Peterson did. And, you know, people, it's, it's quite interesting. I, I stumble upon Jordan and we're both from, from very similar towns. We have a very similar background. Like he grew, he grew up like, like two hours away from, from where I did. And so we kind of tend to speak in the, in, in a very similar manner. We kind of have the same accent. He went to the same university that I did. Uh, we both went to McGill. And so we kind of have the similar background. We like I, I stumbled upon his uh, his website where it says his recommended books the other day. Like I'm like, wow, I've pretty much read all of those books too. Yeah. And so you know, it's, it, it, it was it was it was incredible to me to to discover him and to see someone who was saying the things that I was saying, writing, and recommending to other people, and recommending the same readers, the same uh, books that I was that I was recommending to uh, to other people, um, and to see what he has been able to do that and I don't just mean the 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 the, the fortune and fame but also to read his comment section and to see the people who have been like well I was on the brink of suicide I had never I had never I've never even finished high school and, and and now I'm at Harvard or I have fixed my family or 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 I his finished. his his stories sorry to cut you off his stories about like the father and son about how they come to him like arm in arm after one of his lectures uh, and then he just breaks down whenever he starts talking about it. Um, it's, it's emotional because he does, he does get very emotional talking about that. Oh, yeah. And you can just tell, you can just tell he's not a con artist. He's not whatever. He's, he's, he's a good guy and he's fucking smart. <laughs> and he's highly intelligent, right? Yeah. And what, 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 one of the marks of, of, of truly intelligent people, uh, is, is being able to think in the abstract, uh, 
you'll, you'll often see people who seem to be very intelligent, but like they'll, they'll kind of like memorize their books and they'll be like very, like they'll, they'll kind of like, you know, be these people who might be like subjectively very, very impressive. Like, you know, maybe they'll do some, some, some mathematics, maybe they're, they're, they're well-versed in physics, but the truly intelligent people, the mark of a truly intelligent person is the person who can be creative and think in an abstract way, which is what he tends to do. Like the way, in, the way that he connects his stories and he kind of reaches into these like multidimensional space and, you know, he'll bring in Nietzsche and the Bible and, and the Bhagavad Gita and, and all these different things and connect them in a way that has never been done before. That's the mark of a truly intelligent person. And of course, you know, that when you deal with mathematics and physics, the more intelligent people are the ones who can think in, in those level of levels of abstraction. This is actually quite well documented in literature. Like there, there are some areas of quantum mechanics that you just that, that seem to have almost like an IQ threshold for uh, for the, the most the people who can contribute to the most because it just requires such a level of abstract thinking. And probably the same thing goes, applies to theoretical mathematics. Um, but anyways, seeing what he did and in, 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 in the help that he is. Uh, providing other people and the magnitude of that help sort of took me back and I was like, well, I want like I I want to do this too. Like I want to be able to help people with the same skills that I have, with this kind of similar background that I have, amazing enough. Uh, I want to be able to 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 do the same thing for people. And you know, bef before that I was very much focused on, on on biomedical science and on neurobiology, which you know my, my research is still predominantly in, in those things. But I kind of saw, okay, well, if you're going to help people and if you're going to like leave this impact on the world, let's let's do it in, in biomedical science and, and neuroscience. But seeing his ability to truly affect each person that comes across him or or, or you, you know significantly affect the majority of people that, that come across him has made me realize, well, you don't actually need to, to find the genetic cause of ALS in order to contribute to people's well-being and in order to significantly impact the, let's say, overall well-being of humanity. You can also do it through psychology and philosophy, which are things that I would probably rather spend a whole day reading about philosophy than reading about uh, spatial transcriptomics and ALS. Sure. And I mean, I feel like, I feel like JP is the example of this, of how he has taken the, I mean, whenever with his biblical lectures and just whenever he started putting his, his, uh, school lectures uh, on the internet, on YouTube, whenever you first hear them and you actually listen, he's the only guy I've ever pulled out a pad and a pen and taken long notes on the biblical lectures and things that I just, I heard them spoken for the first time. And I'm just like, this is one of the, for sure one of the most profound things yeah. i've ever heard in my life no it's it's, it's fascinating and even even more fascinating that is the fact that he focused so much on cognitive science and sensory perception which is pretty much what my neuro, neuro, neuroscience research began in right the way in which i think about these things are, are very much sensory motor neuroscience and somatosensory neuroscience which he tends to take an approach about through those things to make his philosophical and psychological points mm. and how old are you miguel 24 turning 25 24. in about two months. Youngster. I love it. I, <laughs> I, I just, I just turned 27 a little bit ago. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. 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 In December, but it, it's, it's cool. It's cool to hear. Um, there are people like you out there that are just, uh, I, I, I just already know, like, I'm so happy that I know you now because I can't wait in whatever five, 10 years as, <laughs> as this friendship develops and things to, to see, uh, what you do, but can you, so let's get into, so you're wanting to get, your your PhD in clinical psychology was that a big factor because of Jordan Peterson and then also the the philosophers and things you've been reading. I would say it was more related to the philosophers that I've been reading and just my general my my general interest on um, morality and emotional manipulation. I'm I'm very much interested in 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 manipulative people like highly manipulative and highly malevolent people. I'm not as interested in people who are sociopathic and who are have like an antisocial personality disorder, um, because those are those people I can understand a little bit more. I can I can understand. I have a better understanding of the people who who don't have a conscience and don't feel much empathy, and are highly highly malevolent and highly manipulative. But the people that truly interest me are the people who are highly highly manipulative. I'm not necessarily highly intelligent, although highly intelligent people are are interesting as well. Uh, but do have empathy, but choose to be manipulative and malevolent at the same time, 
even while knowing the effect this can have on other individuals. Like who? Are you talking about like dictators and things of the past? No, I'm talking about the people that you can run into in throughout your everyday life who are just going to attempt to manipulate you, to emotionally manipulate you. Uh, you know, people who who, who go through um, emotional, psychological, sexual manipulation of other individuals, um, even though they, let's say, know better and can feel better deep within their conscience. Mm. Mm. We're gonna go. We're gonna go into the the shadow of things, into the dark side of things. Do you do, do well? So does that mean are you into? Uh, and I guess this falls along a spectrum or whatever. Are you into like serial killers and things like that? That's interesting too. Okay. Uh, uh serial killers, and I think a, a book that we both kind of bonded over is uh, "Ordinary Men." That 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 book blows my mind. So it's it, it's a, it's along the lines of of kind of finding out what makes people be malevolent towards other people, uh, both on an emotion, like an emotional and, and physical and, and even sexual level. Yeah, no, I, I, I see. Um, and yeah, so, so that, that kind of stuff made you want to get into the, the PhD more so like, what are you, what are you, uh, so I know it's, it's clinical psychology, but what exactly, um, are you trying to, uh, for a simplistic term, what are you trying to find out? What are you trying to do there? Right. So the, the interesting part about a clinical psychology PhD is that there's actually a, a clear distinction between a clinical psychology PhD and a PsyD. So the PsyD kind of arose because uh, the clinical psychology PhD is very much research focused. Um, the, 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 the key feature of the clinical psychology PhD is to like a traditional PhD that you have, like you, you do your, your traditional thesis and dissertation, you defend it, and then, and then uh, you get your PhD. On top of that, you do your, your clinical courses and your practicum and all the things that make you a clinical psychologist. Um, a PsyD is far, far, far more focused on the actual uh, clinical training than on the research component of things. So for me, as, as someone who wants to get a, a PhD in clinical psychology, my, my main interests are is, is, is the research component of it, which I want to be rooted in, in things like morality and understanding manipulation and, 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 and borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder, um, and, and, and the things that kind of make people take a certain way. Uh, but the cool thing is that if, 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 if you get to the point where like, okay, I want to do research in neuropsychology, then it only, it's only about an extra year, maybe even maybe a year or two, for you to get your PhD in clinical psychology. So I figure, okay, cool. Well, what I can do is I can do the research and the things that I love and within a fully funded program where I can actually obtain funding from, from neuroscience, psychology, and even computer science sources because I my, my work is computational, um, I can also obtain a PhD in, in clinical psychology um, and be an APA accredited uh, clinician, which has has it, its merits. Like not, not, not only does it give you something to fall back on because life in academia can be very volatile. And if you don't have to stick by the whole, like, uh, like the politics of academia, going from assistant, associate, um, full-time professor, going through tenure track, going through all the drama that can come with, with within an academic job, uh, then you can fall back on the clinical side of things. You know, you can open your, your private practice. That aside, I think that it is highly beneficial, especially as someone who is dealing with, with psychological conditions, to keep to keep a foot into clinical practice and talk to people and see what they're actually saying and kind of have a, a, a clinician-derived outlook on research. You're a practitioner. You're staying not only up to date with the research, but with real life people on a regular basis. Right. And that's something that we see even in, in exercise be highly beneficial. Like we, like we, the arguably the leading researcher in, in muscle hypertrophy and, and body composition is Brad Schoenfeld, who was a personal trainer for the vast majority of his career. And as soon as he got his PhD, his, his whole career has been, okay, I'm going to like, he, he did, he did his personal training and learn all the things that people in the gym are asking and want, wondering and, 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 and proposing. Then he got his PhD and he's like, you know what? I'm going to answer all of these questions systematically. And that's, that, that's pretty much what he has done. And one of the reasons why he's been so successful is because he's been able to, to answer all the questions that everyone else has been asking, but no one had, no one, no one had the PhD or the lab or the funding to do those things, but he's been able to do that. And so I think that while studying the human mind, it's very important that you kind of keep in a foot into clinical practice so that you can see what questions actually need answering. What questions do you do you, do you arrive to naturally as someone who is treating these individuals? Mm. Yeah, I think that is absolutely crucial. 
What a, so what's the, if, if you know it, or, or maybe you have a, a theory or an idea, what's kind of your end goal? Are you wanting to do a private practice? Are you wanting to stay in research? Are you wanting to become the next JP? What do you think? I would like to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to, uh, to, to, to stay in, in academia as a professor. I would like my research to mainly be in cognitive neuroscience and neuropsychology while being um, a, a clinician. And of course, I would like to write, I'm, I'm writing a book right now that kind of intersects existential, like existential philosophy, um, religion, and uh, is, is, is sort of taking my own approach at um, the, the application of cognitive neuroscience in everyday life. Um, I, I, I have found there's, there's, a, there's a lot of interest right now in cognitive neuroscience and, and how it can be used to um, shape the way in which we 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 change our behaviors or go about our day. And I would like to write a book that's, that's intersecting that existential philosophy and, and uh, religion and kind of crossing various religions. I, I don't want to just focus on the, on the Judeo-Christian religions, um, which I think is going to be a multi-year uh, um, project. I don't expect to have it done anytime soon, but my goal is to sort of just write every now and then and re like read, read various books, um, can maybe, maybe write like a, like a, paragraph even a month but if i can have it done in like five or six years i would not be complaining about having a, a book by the time i'm 30 years old and that, that's another thing that i have i have uh sort of arrived to lately is i've been looking at the average age of which people that we look up to you know like jordan peterson and sam harris and the weinsteins sam harris didn't didn't write his, his first book until he was in his 40s he didn't even have his phd until then Oh, Peterson wow. didn't finish Maps of Meaning until until he was until he was in his late forties. So for for me, it's like okay, cool. Like I'm gonna start this book right now that when I'm 24 years old, and if I finish it when I'm like 35, I'm completely good with it. Right, because uh, ideally, you know, five years from now, you can look back on some of the work that you're doing now, and you can scrap it, you can make it better, you can improvise, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I would like I would like to be to 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 keep my foot in academia and in clinical practice while writing books, and then eventually. Yes, I, I would like to do the whole YouTube, going around the world, signing books, all all, all that thing. I think that I have a, a very valid and and good message for people that that will will help a lot of them. Why? What is? I'm assuming what's holding you back now is because you probably don't want to spend the time on. YouTube videos or something. I know with Instagram, you said you were going to do like one post a week or something like that. I'm just wondering why you why you don't go more all in on it now. And but I'm assuming it's because your workload and just other deep work that you would have to sacrifice. Yeah. So right now, I'm actually in the middle of recording a a, a lecture series on the neuropsychological significance of the Divine Comedy, Dante's Inferno, um, specifically. the re The reason that I'm that I, that I chose that book in specific is because the Divine Comedy is actually one of the it's one of the axiomatic books that shapes our morality. Um, this book, previous to this book, while, while the Bible goes into, into a lot of detail about what, what sort of things might, might earn you punishment or what things um, what things can be considered moral or immoral. And, you know, before I get into this, I'll just give, I'll just give this kind of, um, I guess, caveat that while people may not agree with the Bible or, 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 or live in, you know, might, 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 uh, by by a different religion or something like that. It 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 really cannot be argued that at least the Judeo-Christian religious texts are the are are the ultimate canonical books in the West. And by that I mean that the stories that are in the Bible have shaped so much around us. They have shaped our our morality, morality, our psychology, our philosophy, our legal systems, and all of these things. So the reason that it's important to understand the things that then kind of the the most important books around those books is because they are implicit in our in our conceptual ways of thinking about the world. They are implicit in in a lot of our beliefs, whether you actually agree with 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 the Bible or not, or whether you abide by the Bible or not. It it has shaped so much of the West that it cannot be ignored. And that if you understand the text, you will understand you will you will likely understand a lot of your belief systems. And that's one of the amazing things about reading it is like you, you go through the Bible and you you kind of go through these stories and you're like, huh. <laughs> this is kind of outlining my own morality. And of course we update things, but it's like, oh my goodness, this is actually like the morality of the West. Right. So anyways, the Bible goes, it goes into a lot of detail about, about morality and, and things of that nature, but the divine comedy, um, it, it, it's very much detailed into what things, what things can be classified as immoral in the level of punishment of, of, of each one of those things. And it's, so it's a very beautiful story about, about, about the hero's journey and, and the, the, 
the inferno in, in in specific has a lot of um has a lot of application into into discovering who you are um and it has a lot of application into what let's call them crimes you can commit every day that can truly destroy people and as as, a, as an example of that the ninth ring of 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 the inferno the ultimate ring of the inferno is reserved for people who have committed betrayal and the reason for that is because dante understood that if you betray someone if you truly betray someone that you have someone's full trust and vulnerability and you go and you betray them you morph and mutate the entire past present and future so what can happen psychologically and, and neurologically if you if you truly betray someone is that you taint all of the memories that you have with that individual so you kind of have this this very special um, relationship with a person well, let's kind of go into, into into romantic relationships okay or or even a friendship you have all of these special memories that you have built with this individual and you know they're special to you and they make you giddy inside to think about and they make you happy if this person truly betrays you all of those will now be tainted because you will look at them all through 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 the lens of betrayal through someone who's hurt and you'll question everything about their intentions at the time and you'll question the reality of, of those memories because all of a sudden you'll be like wow what was this individual thinking back then what were they building were they were they cheating on me back then was this person talking crap about me behind my back whatever it'll all be tainted the present will be tainted because it will it will just be an incredibly uncomfortable and sad um and angry moment uh, and the future will all be tainted because well because humans um predict right that's, that's one of the things that, that, that our brains do um so you know yes we might try to play cool in a relationship be like well i'm not thinking about you about where we're going to be in, in three or four months but yeah and they, we're all doing that because that's exactly what our brains do it's like we, we're, we're we're making predictions based on based on friendships and, and in our romantic relationships and even even the jobs and when you're truly betrayed by someone that future that future which which kind of has its own metaphysical substance like it's, it's a real future inside of your mind and you have emotion attached to this future that is destroyed as well and that can be just as painful as the past being destroyed and so dante believed the, the betrayal was the worst crime that you could commit because it destroyed both past or destroyed all the past present and future in a way that just walloped you and that, and that some people cannot recover from because if you've truly been betrayed by someone you know that having all of those things collapse and 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 collapse on you is one of the hardest things to recover from mm, and it's not even it's not even just uh, going for the future like it's not even just with that person because even if you you know kick that person out of your life you still have those same issues carried forward and lay them onto the next person, even if it's not uh, 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 accurate. Oh, absolutely, it can it, it can destroy your ability to trust to trust in the future. Like it, it can also destroy all your future relationships. Because how many people get hurt by a previous relationship, then enter in a new relationship and make X, Y, and Z accusation, and the other partner is like, "I have given you absolutely no reason to 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 distrust me to distrust me uh, with these reasons." I'm getting tired of you asking for them. If you continue to distrust me on these things, I can no longer continue a relationship with you. So they can they can continue to destroy your your relationships, even though they've betrayed you in the past. Mm. That sounds very interesting. And what exactly are you trying to turn that with the Dante's Inferno? What did you say that uh, that you were going to do with that exactly? The neuropsychological significance of it, and and also discussing the implications that it's had in in Western morality. And you were doing um, YouTube videos on this. Or I lectures? was going to do Instagram stories and, and IGTV, but then I realized that I have like an hour and a half lecture just like just from the time that the book starts. Oh, uh, dude, like do YouTube before please. Dante goes Dante goes into the into 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 the cave into into the inferno. It's like okay, so I have like you know it. it I have pretty much like an hour and a half to two hours of material for each ring. So I figure I might as well do Dude, YouTube. YouTube. You need to, this is, this is the, the biblical series of, of basically <laughs> with, with Jordan Peterson. Like you have to put it on YouTube because the algorithm's better. More people can see it. People are going to share it more easily. It's just Instagram is just, uh, it's too fickle and the algorithm is, is sucking and it's just not as shareable, uh, and as discoverable. And so, yeah, I think, I think YouTube is the spot. Yeah, well, I, I was planning on just doing like five or six stories, just kind of quickly talking about its significance. Well, you can do both. But then I started. Well. Then I started to like make PowerPoint slides and kind of go into different like mythology <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and across religions and across time, and then kind of get into neurocorrelates and psychological research. And I was like, okay, this needs to be YouTube. There's just too. There, you just can't, <laughs> right? You can't like make it no. simpler than it, it it can be, right? Like you just can't. And that was kind of you know like what you're saying about why don't you go all in? That was, that was kind of what I was thinking is that 
okay, well, there's there's really no reason why I shouldn't start building this now. You know, it's like I, I have this knowledge. I've read these people. I'm very confident in what I've read and what I know and my ability to help people. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start going all in now. And if people want to follow along the journey, that's fine. If people want to join 10 years from now, that's also fine. Dude, why you you need a podcast you need because you the thing with the thing with the podcast is it gives you access and where you already have a lot of good access through these these universities that you've been to and the connections that you made and researchers and people who legit know their shit and would know your character and intelligence and if you would have on alex friedman on your podcast it's like that's where you can genuinely have these very stimulating conversations that could lead to something else in the future. That's just me. That's just, I'm just, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> that's your podcast propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm serious. You would be, you would be great at it. Cause clearly you can already tell, I mean, you're, you're an effective speaker. This, this gives people come to podcasts for in-depth discussions. It's like, they don't go to Instagram story for that necessarily, but if they go to even, even YouTube on, on some extent, I think Jordan Peterson, like if they would have came out as podcast first, they wouldn't have been surprised, but they kind of work both ways. But I, I think that, I don't know. I think the podcast would be, that would be very interesting. You could do one a month. Maybe I, I think that it would, it, it would, it would be great for you. I really do. The thing that's interesting about podcasts is, is when, when you, post videos on youtube i I've, I've come to find that like the standard of editing for youtube is just so high now it's like people want videos that are they're so beautifully well done i i and the podcast attract me because it's like you can just mouth off for an hour and a half to two hours and people will listen yeah yeah well i mean even just like this like i'm gonna put this up on youtube and and with just the the webcam i'm using the webcam from my laptop and the yeah. video is as long as you have good lighting the video is good or uh yeah so the video camera is good and then you have a, a microphone the sound quality is fine it's like they're gonna be you remember you know the the jordan peterson videos from his lectures back in the day they were just yeah. they're, they're blurry they're you know they're they're not the best sound quality but it's the content that's important yeah for for my for my youtube videos i mean that, that's kind of what, what i've been thinking is that um i'm gonna put of, of course they're, they're gonna be well recorded the, the, the sounds are gonna be great and everything but i'm just gonna kind of put a powerpoint over and i'm gonna speak for like two hours and, and see what happens yeah Absolutely. I, I I'm not going to be Jeff could, Nippert up in here. You could <laughs> listen, Jeff. I mean, Jeff's on another level. Like that's his own, yeah. his part of his deal is like the, the, the graphics and visuals and everything. Um, so yeah, man, I, I think that that would, that would just go really, really well for you. And I think the connections you can make would be because people, people that even don't even know who you are, they'd be willing to come on your podcast, uh, if they get a good recommendation from somebody else that they trust or something like that. Uh, so it's just, it's a good excuse to have on people you look up to, because if you say, Hey, Lex, let's hop on the phone for an, I don't know, maybe you've done this. I don't know who you talk to or not, but I was just <laughs> going to say, I was going to say, it's like, Hey, Lex, like, you want to talk on the phone for an hour? It's just like, he'll probably say no, unless there's some kind of big incentive for him. But if it's like, Hey, I've got this podcast. I talked to a lot of people like you. I went to this university. This person can vouch for me. Would you come on? The chances of that conversation happening is much, much higher. Right. Just my two cents, um, <laughs> but uh, but let's let's go into the, the the metacognition post that you you sent me. I think this kind of aligns well with with what we've been talking about as far as your value systems and and acting out those value systems. So w briefly, touch uh, explain to the people what metacognition is and then how we can kind of use that to our advantage. Sure. So I'll I'll explain something about about sensation and perception first. So. The world is too complex. Let's, let's start with that. Your your brain has evolved in a way such that you don't actually pay attention to everything around you because you can't. There is too much information. There is too much stimuli. So you you operate on the, around the world, focusing all 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 of your attentional systems. Pay attention to a very small percentage of what is actually around you, and this is and you can test this very quickly by looking around the room that you're in or look, looking around wherever you are. And you'll see that as you shift your gaze, you'll notice things that you had no idea were actually there. You just weren't paying attention to them. And these things weren't being processed. And that's actually for, for, for a very good reason is, is that we need to be able to focus our attention in order to be able to, uh, to, to perform tasks and to be able to do, to, to do things effectively and to really be able to focus. If, if we, if we were to pay attention to everything, we just kind of be running around like, 
not even like chimpanzees because chimpanzees can also do this very well like we should yeah. be running around like crazy people all, all, all day yeah um you know so so we have to we have to focus on on specific things and we have to be able to, to direct our attention both visually and, and, and auditory and olfactory to to, to to very specific things um so what that means is that you will pay attention to the things that you value. And when I say this, I don't just mean the things that you deem to be positive. It's, it's the things that actually have some type of, of attentional value. So this can be something like, you know, if, if, there, if there's a snake in front of you, that will have a lot of attentional value because you need to pay attention to that thing in order to be to not get bit. Or, you know, if 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 someone is talking is saying something very bad about you you'll pay attention to that that will have attentional value or it can be something that you actually like you, you like you know if you see your favorite dessert in front of you or you see you know your favorite um celebrity in front of you like you, you'll pay attention to those things does this have to sorry to cut you off real quick but this made me think of the thing that i hear a lot of people say and i have no idea if it's true or not but the ras the reticular activating system or whatever just it's it's people from like the secret and stuff with the, the law of attraction they think about if you you visualize these certain things you'll like if you start thinking of a a red car you're going to start noticing red cars everywhere yeah that that's that that's kind of like the the the, the neuroscience behind that it. it's the fact that you just decided to specifically look for certain things that you weren't looking for before so all of a sudden you'll you'll notice them because before you had no no reason why you should give these things value so they just weren't actually entering your 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 attentional focus um so the the, the premise there is that, is that you pay attention to the things you value again i'm not speaking about things that you deem as positive or negative or whatever. It's just things that have attentional value that are important to pay attention to for some reason. So conversation actually works like this, right? When you're in a conversation with someone, you don't actually pay attention to, and, you, and well, you likely don't pay attention to, and, and, and you don't remember everything that, that was said to you. So the, the interesting part is that if you start to pay attention to the things that you pay attention to, you can, you can find out a lot about your intrinsic value system. And this is sort of a brutal exercise to take yourself through because the things that you pay attention to sort of built built into into your 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 your, your value system and it's something that you're not actually going to be able to truly control because who can control their attention all the time is incredibly difficult. So when you start to pay attention to the set of things that you pay attention to, you will have a large part of your value system in your, your 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 conversational value system let's call it revealed to you so you might realize that you're paying attention to things that would give you reason to not trust someone or that will give you reasons to to manipulate someone or or like or the things that will allow you to manipulate that person or you might pay attention to things that are only related to money or only things that can make you um uh that they can help you succeed in life. You might pay attention to, th- to things that, that, that allow you to help an individual. Like th- th- this can also be an exercise that reveals like, okay, well, I'm actually paying attention to the things that kind of allow me to support this person. I'm mainly responding to the things that will then allow me to have this, this emotionally close relationship with this person. But it's something that you won't, that, that will, that is so hard to control all the time that when you reflect back about the things that you paid attention to and the things that you remember, you can, you can really start to realize what things matter to you within a conversation. And, you know, you can do this at any time. It's like at the end of the day, remember all the things that were said to you in a conversation and think about why it is that you remember those, those things. uh, And then try to think, okay, well, what, what, what else does this person say? What things, like when you really think about it, you know, and, and think like, what, what, what things I sort of ignore or didn't respond to? And I can also tell you like what things you don't actually value. And this forces you to be brutally honest with yourself and then, and, and then really know what it is that you're paying attention to. And if you can, why? And, and that's the interesting part is to get at why am I paying attention to these things, to the set of these things, right? Because you're not only going to pay attention to one thing. So it might be that you're paying attention to things that make you money, that allow you to manipulate people, and that are also related to music, because maybe you all, you really, really, really care about music. And when people mention music, all of a sudden, you, you know, you, they, they have your attention. Or maybe you'll pay attention to the things that um, that are related to, let's say, networking, things that allow you to, or things that cause you to not trust people, because maybe you've been hurt in the past, and to TV shows or something like that. Mm, how how do you which which is interesting because uh, i had uh danny linden on from sigma nutrition i had him earlier in the day and this was one of the things we talked about as far as uh 
searching for the truth. How do you, because I, I think that all everything that you just said is true, but I think that there's also a, a, a layer of ego for a lot of people that can get in the way of doing that, asking that why question in the first place. So how would you recommend for somebody if they don't, because exploring those things about why can be very painful. So how maybe do you do it or what advice would you give to get through that? Well, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to sit down with yourself and, and ask yourself some very difficult questions. And that's pretty much, you know, it's like, it's like, if you said, how do I gain muscle? And but like, it's very difficult to work out. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Like, yeah. what, what do you want me to do about it? You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly right. And so one, it's one of the things that, that, uh, that, that, that Nietzsche pointed out and also Carl Jung is that they said that in order to, to know yourself, it is, a, it is, it is an exercise that required a tremendous amount of, 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 of intention, of thought, and of discomfort. You know, Carl Jung himself said that uh, that the, the the roots of the shadow go all the way down to hell. And he thought that you, and he knew that you actually couldn't discover the roots until you really, really put a lot of time and effort into it. It's the same thing. It's like, you want a jack physique? Cool. You'll have to spend countless hours at the gym and there's nothing I can do about that. Mm. I love that. That's, uh, that's so funny. Because as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. That makes sense. Um, Things require sacrifice. And it's like, you know, people want to discover who they are, but they don't want to go through these like very difficult questions. It's the same thing with vulnerability. It's like you do you you want you want a vulnerable relationship, be prepared to be anxious and be prepared to be to question whether your partner is going to use this information to destroy it at some point. Mm, do you have a do you personally have a process for this? Do you meditate? Do you do self-reflection? Do you do journaling or anything like that that you think has been helpful for you? It's more of the Socratic why mixed with some of Carl Rogers' self-actualization and integration process. So Carl Rogers believed that when you live truthfully, when, when you're honestly carrying out your most truthful way of being, and when you're integrating your shadow, all the, let's say, subjectively good or subjectively bad parts about, about yourself – you are going to be able to speak and feel and answer things in a way which is solid to your core. And you're going to be able to feel this different difference. And I've noticed from talking with people that you can often feel yourself in a very somatosensory way, being lighter and sort of being distant from yourself and, and, and from your brain and, and, from, and from the things you are saying when, when you're lying or when you're saying things that aren't entirely truthful. But when, when, you're, tr when you're truly being honest, you know this, you feel solid, you, you, feel, you feel like like a mass that cannot be moved. You have power and you have intention. Um, you feel very, it's very emotional. It's something that, that captivates your entire sense of being. And so what I do is, is when I'm doing something, I try to ask myself, okay, why did you do this thing? Why did you think this? And I might journal or I might just think it inside, inside my own head. And if it's something that I feel makes me lighter or weaker or more distant from my own, from my own mind, then I'll harp on it. And I'll harp it in until I get to that to that uncomfortable point that I don't actually want don't want want to get at. But if I if I feel strong and if, if I can stand behind it solidly and say yes, I 100% feel this with conviction, and I feel strong by saying it, then I stick with it. Now the there there there's there's another part to consider is that I have I have found that there's kind of three elements to people. I have found that there's like the things there's the things that 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 you like about yourself and you can admit yourself right. Those are easy. There are things that you don't like about yourself and you that you don't like about yourself, that you don't want to admit, but you still can't. And then there's a third layer. There's the things that you do not like about yourself and that you do not want to admit. And they, they cost you, cost you an arm and a leg to admit. It's like you're, you, you're like, you're scratching and you're clawing and you're screaming and you're shouting, but you kind of know you have to admit this thing about yourself. And it's like, when, when I feel that I'm being disingenuous with myself, it's probably at that third layer where it's like, okay, well, you're, you're lying to yourself for some reason what is that? And it, it's that same that that's beautiful, by the way. Um, but and I, I know exactly I think everybody listening to this knows exactly what you're talking about. It's just that feeling. Uh, it's the same thing whenever you're lying to yourself, whenever you're lying to someone else, that same type of 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 feeling. And I think JP in one of his um, uh, videos talked about how you feel whenever you're lying, you feel like you're starting to rip apart from the seams, right? Like just, you just, you slowly start to, to, uh, rip apart between, uh, reality and truth. And then whatever it is that you're, you're saying. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting.
It's very it's like you, you know better than that. It's like you know you're lying to yourself and to everyone around you. And you have to question why. Yeah. And Carl Rogers, what I really liked about Carl Rogers is that his his approach was as, as a therapist, he would never try to make people into what society deemed to be a subjectively better or worse version of himself. He has a, this wonderful book called On Becoming a Person. And throughout this book, he details the process of making his clients whole. He's like, I don't exactly care what it is they're saying, but I want them to be able to be honest with themselves about their feelings and about their thoughts at the moment they're feeling them uh, and, and be truthful with that. So he thought that you know, there there are various stages about becoming a, a a whole person. You know, there there's kind of like I think where the majority of people spend their life. Where actually, you know, there's like like level zero, which is pretty much you know you're you're lying to yourself and to everyone around you, and you have no idea that you're doing it, right? But I think the majority of people are kind of like at a mix where they're lying to other people consciously, um, but they're also unconsciously lying to themselves. Like a lot, I found that most people don't actually take the time to truly find out who they are and sort of embrace that shadow element to them. So, uh, you know, I, I find that that's where most people live. And then the, he he outlines a continuum where, okay, well, if you move a little bit forward, now maybe you can get to someone who is who who is who's still kind of lying to people and, and and lying to himself. But at least after the fact, he can kind of sit down and be like, okay, well, I lied about this, and this is why I lied about that. Um, and then maybe he's the person that will confront the people that he lied to or, you know, wasn't entirely about his on, entirely honest about his feelings. That's like the person who, you know, you, you maybe have an argument with or you say something upsetting to. And like a day later, we'll be like, hey, I actually didn't enjoy this because of X, Y, and Z reason. You're like, OK, well, this is actually fundamentally true. Thank you for bringing that up. It's actually really well thought out. And then like as you 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 move forward, you would get people who maybe were could feel the things at the moment that that they were true to themselves and maybe would bring it up later. And then at the very, very end of it would be the people who, okay, they're not lying to themselves. They're not lying to anyone. They're being truthful about everything at the moment that they're feeling it. And they're feeling that emotion to the extent that it should be felt at the moment. And they're not trying to manipulate it in any way, shape or form. And that's a self self-actualized person. And so I think that when you come to that end is when you can truly feel solid in, in who you are and in, in what you're saying. Oh, I love that. Um, it's and very difficult. It's very difficult to not lie to people and to always speak your truth. On my new, uh, if not to do a plug for myself, but on my new coaching page, the whole main theme that I wanted with both the men's and the women's coaching page was keeping the promises you make to yourself. Um, oh, yeah. And that's that's kind of just keeping the word to yourself so that at the end of the night, whenever you go to sleep, you're you're proud of of who you are at the end of the day. That's, that's, that's how I think about it. Um, do you think... Uh, well, it's also then you have to make promises that are that are based on who you are and like what you actually want, right? Right. Like you have to be able to make promises to yourself that you actually want to fulfill and that you actually think are important. Not things that you think that like your your mother or cousin in the third degree or, sure. or school teacher is like, what do you actually think is important and why do you want to promise this to yourself? And if you think this is actually appropriate from who you are fundamentally, then make the promise and then you better damn keep the promise. Mm, let's reverse it. What about somebody who consistently lies to other people, lies to themselves and goes down this dark road of then they've ripped apart from the seams so many times that now they kind of don't even know who they are and they don't know the difference between truth. And I, I feel like this is what happens whenever people just have lots of background kind of anxiety going on constantly just because they haven't acted out their truth for so long that it's just now it's kind of collectively stockpiling in the back of their psyche. Is there any truth to that, you think? Absolutely. It's one of the things that Dostoevsky pointed out in The Brothers Karamazov. There's this um, there's this character who 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 can't stop lying to people. And, and so he goes to um, to one of the wisest people in the book and, and, and you know, he kind of confronts him and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm lying to everyone. I'm lying to you right now. I'm lying to myself. Like I just kind of do all these things because like, I can't stop myself. And like my, my mouth just kind of starts running before I can even, I can even think of it. And people who lie a lot, I've, I've, I've heard this very often, you know, like they, they start, they start lying even before that they, they, they know they're lying. It's like, it's, it's, it's their, it's their instinct really. Mm. And what yeah. Dostoyevsky said is that, um, said above all, do not lie to yourself because what will happen if you lie? Well, first of all, don't lie to others and then don't, but more importantly, don't lie to yourself because what happens when you, when you lie to yourself is that the, the 
separation between what is actually true to you and what is actually false to you, kind of like you said, you know, exactly like you said, starts to become murky until the, until the point where they're, they're intertwined. You no longer know what's real. You no longer know what's fake and you no longer know what's you. And then what, what, what Dostoevsky thought is that, well, if you no longer know what's you, then you stand for nothing. And then that means, and, and, and he predicted that these people would be the ones that would all of a sudden take offense or be or, or have conviction, to, very, very strong conviction, very strong offense at all of these different topics about them and, and, and go into all these, these directions with, with, you know, with, with a lot of impulsivity and intensiveness because, you know, it's like, okay, well, well I feel nothing. And so like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be, I'm going to go all the way one way or all the way, all the way the other way, but they, they won't truly be happy with those things. And then he said that these people would be the ones that would make mountain out of, out of peas whenever it's like something um, even slightly offensive happened because he said, well, these people don't stand for anything. They have no value system. They don't, they don't know what they should stand for and they don't know what they, what they actually value. So what they're going to do is they're, they're going to get offended and get all worked up at very small things because that's the only thing that kind of allows them to feel good about themselves is to kind of take an issue and, and blow it up. Uh, because it kind of feels good to blow up your emotions if you actually don't really have any and you, have, and you don't actually feel strongly for anything. Um, and he also predicted these people would be the ones that would abuse sins of the flesh and you know, impulsivity because they actually don't don't know what makes them feel good. All all they can do is kind of feel good through impulsive desires and 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 you know sex and and and, and drugs and you oh, know right. um, yeah. It's like it's like if if you have no purpose in life, let's say let's say you lie to yourself to the extent that your value systems collapse, you no longer know what your purpose in life is. Well, how are you going to draw enjoyment? Well, you're going to draw enjoyment from sins of the flesh. You're going to draw enjoyment from the things that, that like your carnal desires. That's the only, that's the only, that's the only kind of fleeting pleasure you'll, you'll be able to have. And then that will soon go away. And then all, all this, all that you'll be left with is to try to like fake emotion out of things that don't actually offend you or make you feel strongly. You just kind of want to try to feel strongly about those because that's the only thing you can pretend. Mm, it's kind of like a that's when yeah people turn to to drug sex it's more like artificial meaning artificial or synthetic exactly right. meaning right yeah that's super interesting well what do, let's 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 wrap this up with like some some t- actionable stuff so if somebody is in that position maybe they aren't uh you know loving how they've been acting lately maybe they have been lying to others or lying to themselves or just not super proud of who they are on a regular basis it's, it, you know instead of going further down that rabbit hole of splitting apart at the seams, what would you recommend maybe on like a daily basis to, to kind of get their shit together? (laughs) I'd recommend, this is something that I found some success with is at the end of the day, sort of write down a couple of things that you did, a couple of big actions that you did and try to answer why you did them. You know, like try, try to be like, why, why does this thing matter to me? Or, or why did I act this way? Why did I actually get worked up about this topic? And then if you're truly someone who is lying to themselves constantly, you're not going to need a whole lot of whys. It will be like, oh, why? Like, why are you doing this, man? And it'll be like, at, the, at the first one, it'll be like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> I've been ignoring this thing. for, And that happens all the time, by the way. Yeah. So what, one of the things that happens in, in biomedical research, and I, I do this to people all, all the time is that it'll be like, okay, well, like, why are you studying this disease? Well, I want to help people. Yeah. Why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's like, and, and, then, and then you kind of find out that they're, they're doing this because of the prestige or because it's like mathematically, you know, like competition, well, it's mathematically difficult. They actually like the challenge when they like helping people or they want their money or their like grandfather was a doctor or their father pressured them or whatever. And then you kind of get to learn about, you know, like how their father treated them, their whole, and et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. It's like, <laughs> if you're someone who lies to themselves all the time, and you kind of, and then, and, and you ask yourself, like, even the big questions in your in your life, like, why are you studying what what you're studying? Why does this matter to you? Like, wh- like why are you with your partner? Why, are you, like, why are you dreaming about doing this thing one day? It's like the big questions in life. If you're someone who really lies to himself often, those will come apart at the seams with like two whys. Like, <laughs> yeah. be honest with yourself on like two to three whys, and like those things can fall apart. So quickly, yeah. But the, but you have to be honest with yourself, you know, and, and that that's a difficult thing. And it's like don't write down answers that are subjectively important, like or subjectively impressive. Like don't say I want to help people because like I'm so damn altruistic. Because no, you're not. You know, 
like really like wh- why did you choose to do this like if, if you actually want to be altruistic like wh- why aren't you the soup kitchen why aren't you like <laughs> right. you know why aren't you doing things that will actually help people at this very instant why aren't you on the suicide hotline why aren't you um, being a firefighter or, or or working at the homeless you know you know what i'm saying like the things that are actually going to help people right now and not give you that prestige like you're you're doing what you're doing for a reason and be honest about it it's the i think sam harris talks about it in his waking up app i think it's called the moral illusion or something yeah, um, it's yeah like- the moral illusion it's just about how uh what was the story told there was a village and then there was the village the entire village every single person could be happy except for one person uh, and it's a kid that they have to keep in a basement and for in, in order for everyone else to be very happy this one kid has to um whatever be miserable all the time and then he's like what you don't realize from the story is that this is going on kind of right now because like you 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 see yourself as a good person as a moral person and yet there's nothing stopping you from picking up the 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 hotline for for kids in Africa and giving them all your money right like and, and giving yeah, exactly them right. everything you know what i'm saying we feel like these good people but what's stopping us from donating the majority of things to these these different causes and stuff instead we're we're worried about getting likes on social media or making That's more exactly money. That's exactly right. You know, and it's one of those things that I, that I get all the time with like online coaches. It's like, well, why do you want to be an online coach? It's like, I want to help people. <laughs> it's like, you're trying to grow like a, you're like you're trying to grow like a multiple six figure business, get a hundred thousand followers on Instagram po- posting like booty and bicep pictures. Yeah. You love making money and you dress like, you 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 you, you want to dress like Billie Eilish, you know? It's like, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, you don't actually you do care about people, but that's not your main driver and that's not your only driver. And so then you kind of have to ask yourself, okay, well, why do you want the followers and be more honest? And I want the followers because I want to reach more people. And it's like, no, you like the prestige and like the fame. And then you kind of have to ask yourself, well, why do you want the fame and why do you want the prestige? And, all that line of questioning. It's like, give me a break. You're not in this to help people. Yeah, man. Partially, like it's partially to help people. Right. There's a lot bigger reason. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Interesting. Um, I think the the last thing, since we have, we, you've mentioned quite a few different figures and, and, and books and things like that. If somebody wants like, philosophy 101 and you don't want them to to turn to uh, uh holiday right if you don't want them to turn to the <laughs> daily stoic and, and uh, these other uh things where what's kind of what's kind of like the the philosophy for beginners or what would you recommend so this is this is this is something that, that you brought up and a lot of people have brought up with me it's like because i i don't like ryan holiday or tim ferris or any of those individuals because they kind of bastardize philosophy and, and, and misinterpret a lot of the things that the philosophers actually meant and kind of really dilute their words um, in, in ways that, 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 were, that were never meant and that they don't actually apply themselves. And, you know, then, then, I'm, then I'm asked, okay, well, isn't that better than nothing, right? And so the way that the, the analogy that I made to you and that I made on my story the other day is that I kind of tell people like in fitness, I'm like, okay, well, you should avoid bodybuilding.com and men's health magazine because there's really nothing, there's there's not a whole lot of good there. And that's kind of how I see Ryan Holiday and, and, and those individuals and the Cal Newports and Tim Ferriss and all of those. Um, but like, don't, don't waste your time on, on, on men's health and bodybuilding.com. But what, it, what is beneficial is for you to subscribe to a mass research review, a weightology, an AARR, you know, like Lane Norton's re- research review. Th- those are good resources that will actually break down research for you and help you to understand it yourself. Similar, I would recommend that you get the actual philosophical text, you know, like at Beyond Good and Evil by, by, by Nietzsche. Being nothingness by Sartre. You you get poetics by Aristotle. You get you get you get meditations. And you know if you're interested in, in Stoic philosophy, which is nothing really special about Stoic philosophy, <laughs> but that you get the actual primary texts and that you get a guide on them because these texts are difficult. Just like research is difficult to understand, it's very difficult to under, to understand beyond good and evil. And so what a lot of people have done is that they have created guides that will actually break down what they're saying in modern day English and with modern day application and say, okay, this is what Nietzsche meant. This is what Aristotle was saying. This is what Marcus Aurelius meant. This is what Seneca said. Um, this is what Wittgenstein said. And, and, and it will help you to understand them. And then before you know it, you'll be able to, to read these books yourself and get, and get meaning from it. But those people um, are also the people who are making those guides are other, uh, uh, you, you know, philo- or researchers in the field or, or philosophers. It's usually that. 
is usually someone who's within the faculty of, of philosophy or someone who's very well versed in philosophy. Closest like, to the sun, basically. Right. Like, don't get some random Instagrammer's interpretation of Beyond Good and Evil, right? Like, <laughs> you know, don't get Gary Vee's interpretation of Beyond Good and Evil because he'll just kind of tell you to not go to school and and and, and go make money. <laughs> but get get like someone uh, from the philosophy department, something like that. Like, get 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 a good guide like that. Um, and that will help you to understand the to understand the primary text more and more. And it's kind of like with research. Like I don't think that everyone needs to read primary research. It's like if you don't, if you never get to to understand being in nothingness, which is like nine hundred pages long on existentialism, that's fine. Uh, but just kind of get as close to the source as possible. It's like you don't you don't need to you don't need to be able to read a a Bradshaw and Feld article from from top to bottom and understand everything, including statistical analysis. But if you're not going to do that, then at least you know go subscribe to Mass. But just stay away from bodybuilding.com. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, whenever you told me, because I was genuinely curious as someone who does love Tim Ferriss, Cal Newport, uh, Ryan Holiday, like I, I do, I have found their work helpful. But whenever you, uh, whenever I, that's why I asked you genuinely, I was like, what, I just wanted to hear your reasoning. And whenever you told me that, like, it's better to get, like if the if the main text is the sun, you want to find somebody who is is very close to the original writers or, or you know the group of people or whatever, um, and, and learning from them instead of more superficial uh, uh, layman's uh, off to the side version of whatever they were originally. Well, exactly right because you know philosophy is is something that is that is intended to make you like reflect on the phenomenology of self, on your psychology, on your morality on your interpersonal relationships and things like that. And the problem, the main problem that I have with these individuals is that it, it's mainly directed towards business development into modern personal, like a very modern and Western take on personal growth that these philosophers were, were seeking something much, much deeper than that. And so the, the main reason why I make these recommendations isn't to kind of be like a hipster of philosophy. It's mainly to be like, these philosophers wrote something very deep and something that can get you to reconsider the way in which you, you view yourself and everything around you. And so get close to that and don't settle for something less. Yeah. Yeah. Because as we've discussed, it can be very powerful. It can be very powerful. Mind-blowing. Um, Absolutely. Cool. Miguel, this has been wonderful. Uh, we're going to chat for a few minutes off air. Real quick, if people want to find out more about you and connect with you, where can they find you? So you can find me on Instagram. Uh, that is at mblacut, M-B-L-A-C-U-T-T. And you can find me on my YouTube channel, which is Miguel Blacute. Right now, it's predominantly uh, fitness videos. I have a couple, I think a couple hundred YouTube videos on there about, about fitness. Um, but in the, in the in the next coming days and weeks that will mainly be filled with neuropsychology and philosophy yeah it will yeah it will i'm excited <laughs> podcast coming soon um, <laughs> all right all right miguel thanks for, thank you for having me on brother yeah thanks for coming on we'll do it again soon okay and that is that my friends thank you so much for listening to another episode of the more than fitness podcast and please if you could help me out a little bit here and leave a rate and review in itunes and also Take a screenshot and post it up on your IG story. Tag me at mattmcleod6. I'd love to share it. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast and also so that we can share the word with other people. I would love to build up this community, build up this tribe of people that we have like you and I uh, and get the word out there. Uh, also, if you want more free content, you can check the links in the description. I have my free four-week workout plan, The Ultimate Physique Development. And also, if you want to work with me online, one-on-one -on -one for personal coaching, you can check the link in the description as well. Uh, and anything you else you need, please send me an email, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for listening.